She's gonna love it. Let's go. Whoa, how'd you find a card so fast? I'm a speaker of lady language. I hear their voices in my head, much like Beethoven heard music. No, I think it was just voices. Either way, I've got a card, and you don't. I'm trying to find one with the right words. I just I can't find one that really describes how I feel. Here, this one. This one. This is the one. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, sugar is sweet, and so is honey. I bought you this card because I had no money. <laughs> that is so you. No, it's not. Yes, it no, is. No, it's not. It's not me. What are you trying to say? I need a card that says, I don't deserve you. I never have, and I never will. From the moment that I first saw you, I knew that I wanted to be with you, to know you, to understand you. I am humbled that you chose me. I have married out of my league, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't recognize that fact. And I've never, I've never taken our vows lightly. What do I say to... The mother of my children, my best friend, my soulmate. I love you can just sound so cliche and trite, but it's the only words that I know. I love you. I mean, that would be a card, you know? That would be a card that I'd want to buy. <laughs> What's the matter? What happened? Don't look at me. Okay. okay. Well, look away. I, I, I have. Well, what's the matter? <laughs> it's like I'm a swimming pool. And your words are like cannonballs landing. Pull yourself together, man. Attention, everybody. We are in the presence of a true wordsmith. No, we're not. Allow his words to be the wings on which your cards fly. No, no. I want what he's having. Okay, we need to go. We need to go right now. I've got an idea. We'll get those cards that are blank on the inside, and we'll write your words on them, and then we'll give them to our ladies. But we have to write in calligraphy. I'm just going to take your card. Wait, wait, what was that part about the true uh, soulmates? I need a pen. I'm going to write this down. That stuff is gold. That'll give me a whole Sunday of football. you see that last line? Your words always say more. Pam and I have some friends who have been married over 30 years, and when they first got married, and this is true, this is what he did. Now, he wasn't poor, but he was a tightwad. So he would put his wife in the car on days like Valentine's or her birthday. He would drive her to the Hallmark store. He would walk her through the aisle, come up to a card, pull it out, hand it to her, and say, this is how I feel. She would read it, and he would put it back, and they would walk out. Now, if you're saying to yourself, what's wrong with that, don't say that out loud. Words from the heart cost something. And you can ask Jacob, who was the grandson of Abraham, the great patriarch the beginning of the nation of Israel. Jacob understood that. Jacob had, had left his family and was heading to the old country, to where his roots were, to visit family he had never seen before. 
So he goes to visit Uncle Laban and his family, and he, and he's, he surprises them, and he shows up, and, and they embrace him, and they say, oh, come stay with us, and, and this is what happens. The story begins in Genesis 29. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man, so stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. Now catch this line. But they seemed like only a few days to him (sighs) because of his love for her. Isn't that, just go, ah, isn't that sweet? So this is a story about love. And if we're going to talk about love this morning, let's define it. And to define it, we have some experts. about a broken heart. Jacob had two sisters from which to choose. Rachel was incredibly beautiful. In fact, she so captivated his heart that seven years just flew by, just just like a couple of days. Then there was Leah. The scripture says that Leah... In fact, her name, you should, you should understand what her name means. Her name means tired, weary. Like you to meet my daughter, weary. In fact, the scripture, you heard me read it, said that her eyes were weak. Either she was nearsighted or did not have a sparkle in her eye. In fact, honestly, her name could also mean, and this is true, wild cow. while Rachel's name meant you or young lamb. 
The intention, it would seem, of the scripture is that Rachel was a knockout. Leah wasn't very pretty. So you have one who is homely and and one who is just exceedingly beautiful. You have one who gets the man and the other who gets the broken heart. But it is still an incredible love story. And it goes on like this. Genesis 29, verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Wow. So here you have Jacob on his honeymoon night. He's he's got his Dolce and Gabbana cologne on. He's doing his best imitation of Michael Buble singing All of Me. It's dark in the place. They don't have electricity. It is dark in the room. And here she comes covered, layered in lace, which is the custom. She slips in bed. They consummate the marriage and he is none the wiser. Now somewhere in the midst of that night is he's snoring away. Can you imagine what Leah is thinking? Is it possible that because we have been intimate that he now will awaken and say, oh, yeah, look what I missed. Look who I've got. Oh, be my wife. I mean, we we all have those dreams. Come on, ladies, some of you, you know that, that someday you would run into Brad Pitt and he'd look at you and go, yeah, you're the one. When I was in college, it was Olivia Newton-John. Remember her? And when she sang, I honestly love you, it was for me. So she, he, she's hoping that when he awakens that next morning and looks at her, va va there it is. But the story is so succinct and simple. It says, when the morning came, there was Leah. No fireworks. No revelations, just there was Leah. And this is supposed to be her happy moment. This is supposed to be the time that she's dreamed of, the marriage, a whole week of celebration of marriage. And here it is, there was Leah. When when Christy was engaged, when our daughter was engaged, she called Pam because she was living in South Africa and said, go downstairs into my boxes of stuff and rummage through it till you find a notebook. So Pam went down and looked in the notebook. She brought it back up and she said, look at this. And it was a notebook of all her wedding plans that she had been gathering for years, that she had in her mind what it was going to look like. She had articles and thoughts and notes and weddings she'd been to and things she'd written down. She had in her mind what it was going to look like when Cupid struck. And so there's Leah. When the morning came, there was Leah. For Leah, what happened to Cupid? Cupid. 
That's the card my wife gave me. That, no, it's not. It's just... <laughs> Have you felt like that? That your hopes and your dreams were shot down? Have you ever felt like everything is going against what you want, what you desire, what you thought you should get, while everybody else seems to have it good? You look at other families and you go, look at their perfect family. Look, look how it's, it's just, it's, it's great for them. But look at us. Look at that guy. Everything he touches in the business world turns to gold. Man, that kid's a geek. How come he gets the homecoming queen? What's the deal with that? Oh, look at her. She, everybody likes her and, and the clothes that she wears are just so perfect and they fit her just fine and, and she's just so beautiful and everything's perfect and she can dance, she can sing, she's just got it all together. You know, Leah had come to the place that she realized that she was on the shallow end of the gene pool because it just wasn't there. So here is Leah. Her father has used her to get free labor. Her husband has rejected her. And on top of that, to add insult to injury, Jacob jumps out of bed. He runs over to Uncle Laban's house, knocks on the door, and he says, hey, what is the deal? Bait and switch here. What did you do to me? And he explains to him, it's not our custom for the older to to not get married first. And, And he doesn't even argue with it. He just says, let's negotiate. I still want Rachel. He said, well, you need to finish out the week of celebration of marriage with Leah. Then we'll give you Rachel, and you work for seven more years. Can you imagine how Leah must have felt when Jacob comes back into the bedroom chamber. She is just sobbing because she knows that this isn't working. And he says, okay, here's the deal. I just negotiated with your daddy. And so you've got to get all your stuff, and I've got a back room here for you to hang out. Your sister's coming in next week, and she is going to be my new wife In fact, she means so much to me that I'm going to work another seven years for her so you're out of here because you're just not good enough. So there she is rejected by her husband. Married but alone. So what do you do? I want us to understand this morning that God's plans cannot be ruined by hurtful decisions. Now, God is, not going, or God is not going to go to Jacob and grab him around the neck and say, you will love Leah, you will love Leah, or you're grounded. He's not going to do that. He's not going to make people be nice to you. He's not going to make people love you. Because in, involuntary love is not love. And so here is, is Leah. She is stuck. She is used goods. She is no longer a virgin. She's married to this guy, yet she's not really married to this guy. She is stuck in a pitiful life. But there's something about this woman that is so amazing that there's this tenderness inside that believes something still is going to happen. A tender heart moves us from pathetic to prophetic. It simply means that we have an openness to God that he will unstick us, that we are not stuck in this place and that we are willing for him to use whatever means he wants and whatever timing he desires. 
And so here's what God does. Genesis 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. God opens up Leah's womb. And he keeps Rachel's clothes, not because he's angry at Rachel and not because he's punishing Rachel, but because he has a timing. And so Leah becomes pregnant and actually misinterprets what God is doing. She will soon and realize what she must do, but at this moment, in her euphoria, she has a child named Reuben which simply means, behold a son. And she says, now because I have this son, my husband will love me. He doesn't. She has another child. She has a son named Simeon, and Simeon's name means heard. And she says, because the Lord has heard that my husband doesn't love me, He has given me this child. Now my husband will love me. He doesn't. She has a third child named Levi. His name means denim jeans. His name actually means attached. Now that I've had three kids, now my husband will be attached to me. He does not. There is no romance. There is no partnership. She loves him. He does not love her. But there's something deep down inside of her, if you will, a prophetic edge that says God is up to something and I've got to trust him in this process. And all of us got to come to the place that we realize that none of our manipulations can change what is happening at that moment. And for us, it's time to give up manipulations and decide to trust. And it just, it means this, that when God does something We have this tendency to say, okay, now this is how this is going to happen. This is how this will turn out. This is what God will do for me. This is how I will get my answer. This is how I will get married. This is how the business will grow. This is how the family will come together. This is how I will graduate. This is where how I will get my scholarship because God did this. And then it doesn't work out. And we say, where was God? Maybe if I go do this thing, if I talk to this person, if I manipulate and massage this situation, if I go to the bank and I rearrange the finances, if I do those things, it will come to pass and we realize it does not. Because God says, quit manipulating, just do what you sense I'm telling you to do and just wait for me. You see, rejection that we feel will find its healing in intentional trust. So Leah has a fourth child. His name is Judah. Judah now is the name meaning praise. I will praise God. I will no longer try to figure out what he's doing. I will praise him because he knows what he's doing. The scripture makes it very clear that those who worship and praise God give God a place to establish his throne of power to do what he wants to do. So she says, I'm tired of trying to control this. I'm tired of trying to manipulate this. Even though I am not loved and I have this man's children, I will still trust God. God, I praise you. 
She has a fifth child. His name is Issachar. God has rewarded me. Then she has a sixth child, Zebulun. God has presented me with a special gift. God, 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 God. God has a plan. I rest in God. Now, when she has her sixth child, God opens up Rachel's womb. And Rachel has a child, and she names him Joseph. That is the Joseph of the kid with the many-colored coat. He's the guy who becomes the vice president of Egypt. That's the guy. She has another child. She names him Benjamin, and then in childbirth, she dies. They bury her in a place you know. It's called Bethlehem. Her body is still there today. But Jacob's is not. And that, that should be noted. You see, in the the tradition of that day, if we were living that tradition today, if my wife Pam passed away, and she's not going to, but if she passed away, I'd go to Laurel Hill Cemetery and I would bury her there. With the insurance money, I would go to Hawaii. (laughs) And I would live on the Kona Coast. And the day would come that I would die. Before I would die, I would say to my friends, now my wife Pam, who I deeply loved, is buried at Laurel Hill Cemetery in Erie, Pennsylvania. Go get her body and bring it over and bury us together because she's the woman I love. That's what you do. So, when Jacob is about to die, he announces his funeral arrangements. And here's what he says in Genesis 49, verse 29. I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite, along with the field. And there Abram and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. There I buried Leah. We don't know when Leah died. But Jacob outlived her. And he didn't say, go get Rachel's bones and bring her here. He said, Leah is there. Leah is to be buried with Grandpa Abraham and Grandma Sarah. Leah is to be buried with Mom and Dad, Isaac and Rebecca. And she's supposed to be buried next to me. Why? Because he loved her. Here is a woman of average looks. Her father forced her into marriage. Her sister resented her. Her husband didn't love her until late. But she kept loving him. Words of the heart cost something. And Leah well knew that. 
but she understood that if she kept loving, and even though it was so difficult to express those words and that love and the pain that she felt, that somewhere down the road there would be a change. She knew that God had control of this. And things she would see in the future, she couldn't wait for, but she got there. And things that she would not even know were there, she would, she would have happened in her life. I appreciate the words of George Wood who says this, that the effect of your life cannot be measured within the span of a few decades you are on earth. Leah's story, like all of ours, fits into the long-range tapestry of God's weaving. Look, whether you feel like your Cupid has been shot down, that nobody cares, or your dreams have been erased, I want to tell you that joy will be found in the promised point. We deal with disappointment. Let me break that word down for you. Disappoint and meant. This meanings lack of. A point means that there has been a negotiation and we have agreed that we're going to come together with something mutually right here at this point. This is the a point. But that is the problem. That our disappoint means that we have the lack of the point. We came to the point, but what we wanted didn't show up. Leah showed up for the point, and there was not Jacob. There was not love. There was not care. You showed up for the point, and you did not find love. You showed up for the point, and you did not find success. You showed up to the point, and you did not find the prosperity you thought you were going to get. You didn't find the education. You didn't find the affluence. You didn't find what you thought you were going to find, even though you thought that God said that was going to be there. And there you are stuck in this cul-de-sac of pain. Lack of the point. You're there, but the point is not there. And you live in that, that pain. You suffer. You talk about it all the time. I am so disappointed because this did not happen. And you live in that pain. You live in that pain. And I'm going to tell you, as long as you circle yourself in that pain, that's all you're going to find is that pain because that is what is at that point. And God never intended for us to live at that point. In fact, the word disappoint meant, the word meant means a state of living. I live in a place where the point didn't come and I hurt. And you stay there. It's become your identity. I have friends who have suffered something in the past and they have never gone past that point. And for years they talk about their pain. They talk about their suffering. And no conversation or guidance seems to pull them out of that thing. It is a disappointment. Leah could have lived in that disappointment. But she knew that there was something beyond this point, a God point that she would have to arrive to because evidently this wasn't God's point. God's point is not to give you pain. God's point is to give you success. So she needed to get to that point. And God said, just trust me. I'll get you to that point. And what was God's point? This, this point that was outside her view of the pain she felt at that moment? This was God's point. Leah had a third son, Mr. Denim Pants, Levi. From Levi, coming from Leah, we get Moses, we get Miriam, 
we get Aaron. If she had not loved through that process to where God could bring his point, we would not have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. We would not have the Ten Commandments. Israel would have not been led out of Egypt. We would not have the prototype of the high priest, which Jesus uses today to intercede for you. That's the point. Her fourth son, his name was Judah. From Judah, we get King David and King Solomon. Without them, we wouldn't have had Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. All the high priests, all the great kings came out of Judah. So did Ezra and Nehemiah, and there wouldn't have been a new temple built, and there wouldn't have been a wall placed around Jerusalem. The key players in the Christmas story, Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, all from Leah. If there was no Leah, then there was no Judah. If there was no Judah, there was no Jesus. If there was no Jesus, there is no healing for a broken down world. Because of Leah, who kept on loving. There is this great part in the book of the Revelation that once again reemphasizes what the disciples wrote in their writings, that the day is going to come when Jesus returns for his church. We are his bride awaiting him, this one who loves us so deeply. And when he returns, he is going to create a new earth because this one is so broken down and so messed up. And he's going to create a new heaven. He's going to bring down a new Jerusalem and place it on this earth. We call it heaven. To get into that city, there are 12 gates. It's guarded by angels, but you, you have to go through the gates. Six of those gates are named after six of Leah's kids. And you know what those gates are made out of? When an irritant gets inside an oyster, the oyster doesn't say, I got to live with this irritant. Oysters talk, and that's what they say. <laughs> I got to live with this irritant. Ooh, ow, got to live in this pain. It's so bad. God, where's your love? Who put the irritant in here? Do you know what the oyster does? The oyster begins to coat that thing with what itself is made out of, mother of pearl. So the day comes that this beautiful pearl is formed and it's no longer an irritant. Those gates are made, each one, out of one huge pearl. Do you know how big that irritant had to be? Where did that come from? We know at least 
Six of those gates pay tribute to a woman who did not whine and cry with her irritants, but took that huge pain and coated it over and over and over again with what she was made of, which was this, an undying love for her husband and an unending trust in her God. And that is her legacy. What's ours? So we started this morning with this statement that said, your words always say more. So do God's. So God comes to us in flesh, and here is his statement. Matthew recorded it in Matthew 6. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are. So if you go to Manhattan, to 51st and Broadway, just a stone's throw from Times Square, you'll find a Starbucks. In November, when it's starting to get a little bit chilly in New York, When that chill hits, they crowd into this Starbucks. And for a musician, it is the most lucrative place to play in any Starbucks in the world. And as you begin to play, they said that the the tip jars just fill and fill and fill. And so this is a true story. The musician and his his co-artist are there playing. They're playing songs from the 1940s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. And, and, and some of their own songs. So they're playing songs and tips are flying in. And, and he looks over and he sees this woman sitting in one of the lounge chairs and she's just swaying to the music and she's singing out loud with him. They take a break. She walks up, introduces herself, and, and she says, I hope you don't mind me singing with you. I hope it doesn't mess you up. He said, oh, no, we love it when people sing with us. She said, I love to sing. He said, would you sing with us in the next set? Would you just sing? To their amazement, she said, yeah, I will. He said, okay, so what do you want to sing? She said, do you know any hymns? He said to himself that that woman doesn't know. I cut my teeth on hymns. I went to church before I was born. So he said, yeah, hymns are good. Which one do you want to sing? She said, oh, you know, you pick one out. So he thinks for a moment and he says, how about his eyes on the sparrow? Her eyes just kind of diverted away and as if she was contemplating and she looked back, she said, okay, that one. She said, okay, get ready. So she puts her purse down in the chair and she straightens her jacket and she turns to this, this, this mulling around of sound that is out there and people talking and enjoying themselves and he gives her a, a, a two-bar intro. And she starts singing. Why should I be discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Suddenly, all the noise of the people talking stops and all heads turn and they're fixated on, on what's happening. Even, even the, the sounds of the, the cappuccino machines, the gurgling, it stops because all the employees stop and they look. This is, this, there's something happening here. So the song progresses and she she gets to that place where the song raises 
to its conclusion. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. When she concludes, the place just erupts in applause. Like, like you're standing at Carnegie Hall and, and there's a standing ovation and just match that intensity. And she yelled out, oh, stop it, I just came in for coffee, this is not a concert. I'm like, you just sit down. And, but the applause continued. Finally, as it starts dying down, the musician reaches over and hugs her and said, you have just made my year. And she said, thank you for picking out that song. He said, oh, really? Why? He said, because it was my daughter's favorite song. She was 16 and she died last week from a brain tumor. He grabs his composure finally and he says, well, are you okay? With tears coming down her face, she says, I'm going to be okay. I've just got to keep trusting the Lord singing his songs and I think everything's going to be just fine. Look, because this is a love story, then we've got to understand that God's words, his words, always, always, always say more. I sing because I'm free. 
You're in that disappointment. His words always are more. Do you see the birds of the air? They don't plant. They don't gather. The Father feeds them. And are you not more important to Him than they are? So, let's keep singing. Let's keep trusting and let's keep loving because you have no idea what pearl you're making. Would you stand? In just a moment, I'm going to dismiss you, but I'm going to ask our elders to come with their spouses and just fill the front here. Please come right now. just a moment, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be on your way. But some of you just need some encouragement. Some of you need somebody to pray with you to help you, just help pull you out of that disappointment. And these folks are here to talk to you, pray with you, whatever that is. And so I'm going to invite you to come in just a moment after I've prayed a blessing on you. And then come and have these folks pray with you. We'll stay with you as long as you need our, our assistance and our help. So now may the Lord who watches over you May he reveal to you today his love in such a dimension that you've never embraced and may you now move out of your disappointment. May you find the joy in the point that he has for you and may you have the courage to move on. May you continue to love and may you continue to trust. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you as you're going. Please be quiet as others are coming this direction. Come and be prayed for.